Hi. Welcome to the CGOB Sports Show podcast. On this episode, Josh Morrissey. He gonna be here a very long time. An eight-year contract extension. You'll hear from the defenseman as well as the general manager of the Winnipeg Jets, Kevin Chevaldeoff. Also, curling congress just wrapped up in Mexico of all places. First of all, why is it in Mexico? Also, eight ends versus ten ends. The big debate. Talk to curling Canada's Kyle Jans about that. And finally, controversy in horse racing. Last year's Triple Crown winner. Failed a drug test before he won the Triple Crown. Talk about that with Darren Dunn from Boy Downs on the podcast. The big story today is the signing of Josh Morrissey to an eight-year contract worth $50 million. Tomorrow, training camp opens, and you know that this is something they wanted to get done. Especially since Kyle Connor and Patrick Liney are not signed. We remember a year ago. Morrissey came into training camp without a contract and eventually worked out a bridge deal. Two years. We've gone through one. The second year is this upcoming season. So his eight-year extension kicks in after this upcoming season. It's really a big deal because Josh Morrissey is the bedrock of their defense unit. Dustin Buffalo's getting older. The rest of it, there's a lot of uncertainty. Kulikov's injury risks. Niku, Pullman, haven't seen a lot of them. Pionk, haven't seen a lot of him. Bolu, an unproven player as well. But this is a big-time, big-time signing. So, Josh Morrissey was asked if his team value deal, 6.1 or $6.2 million a year, that's, that's not bad. Will that be a good thing in the big picture for the Jets? Hopefully, I guess. That's a, that's a positive thing, but... On an individual level, you know, just really excited to to have this opportunity um, to be here, to be a Winnipeg Jet going forward, and at the same time, you know, focus on winning. I think that's what I am most excited about. Is as I've said that you know there isn't sort of contract things going on throughout the year. There's no questions. We've got it, you know, figured out, and um, now I can focus on my game individually and, and trying to win and. Um, from talking to the guys uh, in the in the room, I think everyone's kind of coming from that mindset where we're excited about this year and we're excited to show what we can do as a team and try to build with our young group that's still one of the youngest in the league. Now, how did he take that experience going into training camp last year without a contract and use it now? You know, it's part of the journey, I guess, for me as a player. And I think I learned a lot from last summer and, and uh, my experiences into this time last year so definitely you know different feeling but at the same time you know it was kind of the same thing like I think you know you talk about term you talk about um, you know the average annual value and there's going to be sort of a fit somewhere along the lines and uh, last year I think the best fit for term and for um, dollar figure was was on the two-year deal and um, this time around uh, you know it it came out with eight so uh, obviously I'm just really excited about it, and it's a pretty big day for for my family and I. There's always going to be sort of a, for every length of term, for every AAV, um, there's going to be a right fit for each guy. Um, for me, obviously, I felt like it was a great fit. Um, and, uh, yeah, I'm just, I, I love playing here. The, the term excited me, the fact that I get to have that uh, stability, but... Um, 
you know, to be here and, and playing in Winnipeg is, is, you know, from day one is kind of what I've always said I've wanted to do. So, you know, to have that and, and the way it worked out, I'm, I mean, I'm really excited. Yes, that's right. Josh Morrissey is locked in as a Winnipeg Jet for the next nine years. Going into the negotiation when we started this summer, obviously if we felt like we could get to a deal that we were happy with, that would be something we'd really like to do. But obviously, you know, playing the season in a contract year, it will it is in the back of your mind. So, um, you know, I've been through that before, and it's something that, again, if, you know, I, I wouldn't have, you know, wanted to do the deal if I didn't feel really comfortable and feel like, you know, it was it was right for me at the time, and that's what I'm most excited about, and I'm definitely excited to not have to answer any questions about it this year. <laughs> General Manager Kevin Sheveldayoff explained today why he's confident in the long-term commitment to Morrissey. The biggest thing for us is, you know, the way that he's come about uh, becoming the player that he has. It hasn't been one of those things where you you walk in and you instantly see, aha, you know, he just steps right in and there's not a beat. But what you've seen with him is is you know development right from the moment that we drafted him. Um, you know, you, you you could see that development. And you know, the interesting thing uh, where you you really got a glimpse into Josh was um, you know at the end of one of his junior seasons when he went up and played for um, you know, St. John's Ice Caps and they went to the finals and. And he stepped right in, you know, at a very, very young age there and probably played the one of the you know best series, you know, a couple series that we've seen him play, you know, at that point in time in his in his uh, young career of, of junior and, and then pro. So to see him step in as a pro at that point in time, you knew you had something pretty special. And then when, uh, you know, he came and, and uh, you know, uh, came and played and developed in the American Hockey League, um, it, you know, maybe didn't look outwardly at the time that you know you 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 saw some things that we saw internally um, but you could see that you know his development path was going to lead to great things, and then he took that opportunity uh, in that uh, one training camp, um, you know, uh, to, to to seize the opportunity to play. And at that point in time, you know, he he, he just continued to you know progress. So um, that's the Josh Morrissey on the ice. The Josh Morrissey off the ice, you know, has has never skipped a beat. Is just a top top notch person. Um, you know, always willing to give back to the community. Always. Um, you know, willing to, you know, to do things for others on his team. So we're, we're really, really excited today to, uh, to be able to announce this and, and uh, you know, have him, you know, as, as a long-term Jet. And he definitely sees some maybe future captain material in his young defenseman. Those things, you know, take care of themselves, uh, you know, over the course of time. He's, he's obviously always, uh, you know, been uh, in, in the teams that he's been on in junior, been part of the leadership group and, and stuff like that. So, you know, it wouldn't surprise me that, uh, you know, he does, uh, you know, take a bigger role, you know, when it, it comes to the forefront. Josh has been a leader in this room, you know, in the background, you know, since he's walked in, you know, it's, and that's the, I guess, you know, when you talk about with players and stuff like that, you don't need a letter to lead. You don't need, um, you know, to, to be in front of the microphones every day to, to hear or say, oh, you know, that this guy's a leader because he talks. Um, it's what you do quietly. It's what you do every day. It's what you do when people aren't watching, when coaches aren't watching, you know, um, that maybe only your teammates see. Like, those are things that make you a leader. What does the defenseman think about an expanded leadership role? Yeah, I mean, that's something that I think happens naturally. It, um, at least it has to happen naturally. I think if it's forced or anything like that, then, you know, it just it doesn't work as well. So that's definitely what something that I would welcome. Uh, I think it's something that you um, 
you grow with over time, you get better at over time, you learn, and with experience, um, you know, you get better at it. So, you know, we're fortunate here to have great leaders, great older guys who are leaders, and I feel like I've learned a lot from them over the last few years and want to continue and, you know, be part of that group of guys that is leading on and off the ice and, and pushing to, to win. I think that's, you know, the first and foremost thing is, is you know, I want to have a chance to win. and. I feel like here, you know, over the next number of years, we have, we're going to have a really good opportunity to do that, and that's what excites me the most. I know it's only September 12th, but the curling season is already getting underway. There's an event going on right now in Cornwall, Ontario, and the World Curling Congress wrapped up last week in Cancun. So joining me now to set the table for the upcoming season is Kyle Jans. Manager of Communications and Media Relations for Curling Canada. First of all, Kyle, I know you weren't at the Congress, but why on earth was this in Mexico? <laughs> I've had, had that question asked uh, a couple of times, but uh, Mexico is one of the member associations of the uh, of the World Curling Federation. So they do have a, a national federation that they and they do compete for uh, national or for championships, and they are on that on that radar there. So uh, it's something, and it's an initiative to uh, you know connect a lot with a lot of those uh, countries because when you think about the World Curling Federation and curling in general, I know we think a lot about, uh, you know, Canada, the United States, uh, some of the Asian countries that have really gained prominence. But there are a lot of new countries and up and coming countries that are finding ways to get involved with it, even if they're not typically the types of countries that uh, have ice. And uh, so Mexico is one of them. And even when you take a look at uh, this past season here, the World Mixed Doubles uh, Championship, for example, was an open entry event. And we saw uh, teams from Greece, Kosovo, uh, Mexico, who was there competing, Nigeria, Saudi Arabia, even that were all competing for the first time. So uh, there are a lot of a uh, lot of nations out there that are getting their their foot kind of started in 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 it, and uh, it's really actually pretty neat to kind of see how everyone is grasping the sport all across the world. And instead of laughing at the fact that Mexico probably doesn't have a lot of curling rinks, we should say, hey, you know what? It's great that more countries are getting involved in this. Well, that's exactly it. Like uh, you want to be able to uh, to grow the game, and that's something that the when the Olympics were first introduced in 1998, when it became an official sport, it became popular all across the world. I, I know of stories of uh, people in Brazil, for example, they'd be watching it on on TV during the Winter Olympics, not having any idea what it was, but becoming fascinated with it because it looks so different from anything that uh, that they've been able to do before. So we're finding ways to be able to uh, to get that that out that message and that sport out to these countries uh, there's a company called rock solid productions that works on iceless curling products uh, first marketed towards uh, schools like rocks and rings and getting uh, the youth interested in the game but it can actually be used to uh, to get others that don't have those ice facilities in place to be able to to take advantage of it and learn more about it I think the biggest development out of the World Congress, or at least going in, was the thought of perhaps a vote of eight ends versus ten ends to maybe make eight ends the universal. That got kicked down the road, did it not? 
Yeah, so that, that that is something that anyone who follows curling and has been reading a little bit about it during the off season has seen that it's taken a lot of prominence uh, over this past off season. Was the eight versus ten end debates at the world and international level? So uh, the World Curling Tour, for example, in the Grand Slam of curling, that's something. An eight end game is something that they've already adopted. But there has been talk about it from the uh, from the wor- uh, world international uh, level there. Um, so it was decided that for now the motion was going to be tabled and that I believe to be is the right decision. Uh, the, so what's going to happen now is uh, there's going to be a new committee that's formed by the World Curling Federation that's going to have all stakeholders involved from all member associations, uh, athletes, uh, sponsors, media, everyone, every stakeholder who essentially has some impact on the game and growing the game. They're going to take a look at it over the next two years or so and really dive deep into it to be able to determine what exactly uh, would be the benefits of making a move like that down to eight ends, uh, what kind of impacts any decisions like that would have, and really just truly analyze and consider this uh, this from all angles because it's a, a big decision and something that uh, when you do talk to a lot of people, it's, it's a very uh, divided issue as well. It seems like it's almost 50-50 split in regards to the opinions of what people believe uh, should be, what it should be and what it shouldn't be. So it, it, it is a decision that uh, couldn't be taken lightly so it wasn't made uh, instantly and there's no incoming uh, lasting changes that that uh, curlers will have to deal with at this level right now at that level but it is something that will be looked at for the future you're right from what i've heard i've heard from professional curlers that are pretty hard line they want games to be shortened they want games to be quicker they think that will get more fans in on tv and I've heard from people that say, you know what, traditionally we're at 10 ends at the major events. It's like five sets at a Grand Slam tennis event, right? You get to that bigger stage. You want more time. Will this cause ripple effects throughout the curling world once the decision is finally made? Well, we'll have to see what exactly that, that decision is. I mean, that's why the fact that uh, that this committee has been put forward is to be able to look at all of these options and all of these possibilities that come that can come out of it. Uh, the purpose of it is so that we'll be able to uh, realize what those ripples will, might, will be or what they could be and how to be proactive in these situations rather than reactive and making a change and then trying to, uh, to fold everything everything over afterwards so this it, with this way essentially now we'll be able to or the curling uh, congress will be able to take a look at that uh, see exactly what needs to be done to make sure that if it is a decision that they do want to do that it does go through as smooth as possible but again that remains to be seen at this point whether that will be something that uh, that will come through it'll be a lot of discussion over the next two years as uh, as we as we get closer to that what are the arguments you've heard for and against shortening the games well, there's a, you know, from the athlete perspective, you and you touched on them earlier, from the athlete perspective, the the season is getting longer. I mean, we've, uh, with the, the, even though a lot of the teams are stepping out onto the ice for the first time this weekend and last weekend, uh, there were teams that started as early as, uh, as July even and, and earlier in August, starting at some World Curling Tour events in Japan. The, the it, It's almost a year-round sport now at this point uh, in regards to the uh, commitment that it takes especially when it comes off season and the physical uh, demands that are now on the sport that weren't on it previously. So when you consider that, the repetition, the amount of games that that athletes play, 
uh, it, it's it's a huge strain on an athlete's body. And if you can diminish it down by uh, by taking away two ends in the game and making those games shorter, it's uh, something for the longevity of the athlete that there's certainly a benefit to. Uh, so that's something for, for the shorter. But I mean, from the longer perspective, there's the tradition of it. There's the, uh, the, the thought of it keeping it, you know, kind of traditional and that uh, sometimes the, the athletes will prefer that and as well as for the fans and the, and the TV. So there's, you know, a lot that can be said about both sides. Now, there's been a lot of changes over the years in curling. I think especially so the last couple of years, especially at Curling Canada events with all the provinces and territories now being represented. Are there any new changes for this upcoming season? So there was one new change that was made this off season uh, um, in regards. So it, with all national women's and men's championships, so at the Scotties Tournament of Hearts and the Tim Hortons Briar, a uh, birthright has been added to the to the residency rules. So previously, you needed three players who have all been part of uh, part of the same province, and then you could have one player that came from outside of that province. Uh, that's been expanded slightly to the part where now where uh, someone who is born within a province or territory, no matter where they move or where they go to, uh, they, they will now have that option to represent that province or territory that they were born in without utilizing that free agency spot. So the purpose or the, the reasoning behind a decision like this is to help with some more flexibility in, in, uh, in, in people's lives. We know that in the kind of modern day world that there's a lot of traveling, there's a lot of moving. We're seeing a lot of younger athletes who might be from smaller provinces that are moving to school, to a larger province, and then not ending up moving home. But this allows them to still be able to resonate and still be able to be part of the province you know where they they learned to curl and kind of grew up and have a lot of those emotional and original ties too so uh, that'll be a new new rule that will be implemented this season and uh, I think we'll make for some some interesting storylines to be able to see how how teams shape up and who will be able to to be who will be using those I guess the most prominent examples of those that come right off the top of my head are Rachel Homan and Jennifer Jones those are two of the names that do come up for sure. Uh, so they, they would be part of it as well. But it's a it's a rule that was made for, for many as we look kind of long-term down the road to be able to uh, see some of these younger curlers to be able to give them some opportunities that they were, didn't necessarily have before. All right, Kyle. I'll appreciate your time tonight, and uh, maybe we'll see you down the line at a curling event this year. Absolutely. Thanks a lot for having Colin. The New York Times. Sent shockwaves through the horse racing world last night with a report that Justify, last year's Triple Crown winner, had failed a drug test weeks before the Kentucky Derby after the Santa Anita Derby. Justify, though, was not kicked out. The California Horse Racing Board basically swept it under the rug. Tested positive for the drug scopolamine, a banned substance that veterinarians say can enhance performance, especially in the amount that was found in the horse. The defense was it was in contaminated feed. We don't have all the answers, but I still thought it would be a good idea to talk to our friend Darren Dunn from Assiniboia Downs about this. Your first reactions to this report, Darren? Uh, really surprised, for sure. Uh, Bob Baffert's one of the leading trainers in our industry, uh, not just in the California area, of course. Um, won the last two Triple Crowns, American Pharaoh, a few years prior to that. And certainly not somebody who's known to uh, take an edge in any way, shape, or form. I'm not saying that he did in this situation, but just the circumstances are uh, are surprising uh, all around. Now, is is controversy 
rare in horse racing or is horse racing full of it? I don't know. Is there a balance to be struck there? You know, it's a large professional sport, Christian. I think uh, it fits into the category of all large professional sports. Um, the, the controversy goes with it no matter what, whether you talk about uh, this for horse racing or uh, the steroids issue in, in baseball or the Olympics. Uh, it's, it's not any uh, uncommon situation per se. Now, what kind of drug testing? We obviously know a lot about drug testing for like Olympic sports and professional sports, horse racing, I imagine falls under that same umbrella where you have to make sure the participants are clean. Yeah, exactly right, for sure. And you know what, I, I can say one of the earliest sports to even go down this road, uh, saliva tests were issued for horses back in the early 20s here in Manitoba, speaking locally, uh, looking for you know performance enhancement drugs all the way back then, which you know I can't say with certainty, but whether it's Olympics, baseball, football, I don't know that uh, those sports were doing that this early, but uh, horse racing is, has been known for doing that. It is important to be clean. Uh, fortunately, that's something that we have uh, great experience out here at Assiniboia Downs. I can say locally, that's not an issue. Overall, it's not as much as people might think. Uh, and when it happens, the penalties are sharp and strong. In this case, it's a different situation. And i got to be honest, I'm very curious to see how this is going to play out. Now, the defense, I suppose, was that the drug that was found, the scopolamine, is often found in a wild plant that can end up in horses' feed. So the argument is contaminated food and it was reportedly buried so it's really tough to to really make a judgment one way or the other on this or is or is the california board in the right to maybe say you know what this isn't really a big deal yeah you know it certainly wouldn't be for me to comment on the california horse racing board and their decisions but i would say that uh there are obviously a couple of schools of thought is it uh was it natural contamination through as you mentioned what's known as jimson weed uh uh, that the horse might have uh, eaten on its own. Uh, the amount that was found s- seems to uh, fly a little bit in the face of that relative to uh, a higher amount. That uh, I think that uh, there's still going to have to be some answering for this. I think that there's still going to be a lot more questions. I don't think it's going to be as simple as, uh, oh, well, and, and we move on. A Triple Crown winner is a big deal. This horse is you know, on his way to being one of the leading stallions across the world, and there's millions and millions of dollars attached to it. Um, some would say it may have some element of tarnish on that if if that continued. Was it just the uh, uh, one time that it happened? I would assume so, based on the stringent testing through the Triple Crown races. This uh, drug test was positive out of the Santa Anita Derby win. Now, that was a very key win for the horse. Uh, it made him eligible for the Kentucky Derby. Yeah, had normal procedures been, to my understanding, followed, uh, this horse may not have even run in the Kentucky Derby, so we wouldn't even be talking about the Triple Crown or potentially a, a long, uh, prosperous career as a stallion. So uh, I think there's a lot more to go on this still. And you mentioned the prosperous rights. I mean, Justify's breeding rights were reportedly sold for $75 million last year. So this could have enormous ramifications. Well, I think it was closer to $60 million. Having said that, we're talking huge millions anyways. Uh, it's $150,000 for a date, if you will, and a brief one at that, to be clear. Um, and he has three dates a day. Uh, it's $450,000 a day. And, uh, you know, a breeding season's in the neighborhood of five months, so you're talking 60 to $70 million per year. Uh, and if the results of his prodigy end up coming up uh, winners and stake winners, uh, then that'll continue. And you're talking about a horse who could be a stallion for 20 years. Uh, you're talking huge, huge money. So uh, be very interested to follow this a little bit further. It's a shame. Uh, beautiful horse. Incredible story. 
But, um, you know, somehow this needs a little bit more investigation by the looks of things, and I think people are going to look for those answers. And I guess it's hard to really, until we have all those answers, make a statement one way or the other on should the Triple Crown be revoked or stripped away? Yeah, I don't think that's going to happen, but in saying that, uh, it's not to to minimize uh, what happened outside of those Triple Crown races. By all accounts, all three of the Triple Crown races, the Derby, uh, Kentucky Derby, the Preakness, and the Belmont Stakes were all won correctly and cleanly by the horse in rather emphatic uh, fashion. So I have no doubt that he was uh, there was no uh, performance enhancement in any way, shape, or form uh, in those uh, three races, or that would have come about already. So I think that stays intact and probably should as it relates to how this was handled in California. Well, it's a state that's been under a spotlight, and they'll be under a spotlight again a little bit further. I know you said earlier that horse racing was one of the first sports to really crack down hard on drugs. Was there ever a time that doping in horse racing was, I guess, a big problem? No, not to my knowledge. I've followed the sport for close to, uh, well, 40-something years. I've uh, never had a point where it was just so significant. Um, like anything, when there's money involved, there's competition involved, the commissions are involved, as I mentioned uh, whether you say it's the Olympics and, and sponsorships or what baseball went through, um, there's always going to be somebody trying to take the edge or look to take the edge. But there's a lot of checks and balances in place. The drug testing is strong, it's stringent, and it's very, you know, it's wide and varied. Um, they do out-of-competition uh, testing now where they'll go to farms and, and test when you're not even preparing for a race. Uh, things like that are, I think, significant moves forward that uh, send the message that it, clean is how you have to win. Clean is how the sport will be conducted and, and operated. And uh, and I think that's a good message to send and needs to be adhered to. Well, I have you on. Is uh, live racing done for the season at the Center Boy Downs? Wrapped up over the long weekend and uh, tremendous season. Uh, great crowds, um, excellent action, and uh, right down to the wire for the jockey uh, title. And, uh, yeah, so planning already for 2020 has been underway for better part of six weeks already we uh we do it concurrently and uh, what does the winter look like at the downs pretty quiet well open for business my friend and i can say that uh thursday night buffets kick in in a week Uh, we have uh, trade shows socials uh wedding show uh, coming up uh, night market next weekend try to take advantage of the large facility and the grounds uh in any way shape or form we can a lot of a lot of uh, corporate christmas parties out here and, of course, horse racing morning, noon, and night, uh, starting on the East Coast around 11 a.m. with the New York and Florida tracks and finishing all the way down under in Australia, circa 11 o'clock midnight, 140 VLTs. And, uh, yeah, lots going on and uh, more plans in the works. Well, Darren, I appreciate your time as always and uh, enjoy the, I guess, quote-unquote, off-season. Yeah, sounds good. Appreciate it, Christian. Take care. Tune in to the CGOB Sports Show weeknights from 7 to 9 with me, Christian O'Mell. Or you can download the podcast on iTunes. It's actually on iTunes now. Wow. If you got an Android, then I think you're out of luck. But Apple products, you're good. So listen to the podcast. Please subscribe. You can rate it. What's the worst that could happen?